Hello, and welcome to another edition of Problematic Women, a Facebook live show and podcast that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist movement. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer at The Federalist. We have quite a lot to cover this week, starting with our That Happened segment, where we highlight some of the more ridiculous and hypocritical news stories of the week. What we're going to kick it off with today is shocking. Liberal Hollywood continuing its same attacks against women who work for the Trump administration. The first one I spotted on Twitter, it was a tweet from Cher, the Cher, who uh, tweeted, would someone please tell Sarah Huckabee Sanders to stop dressing dressing like a sister wife with a picture that I, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you can see on the screen of women in some very um, outdated conservative outfits. Bray, what are your thoughts? Like, okay, so have you seen the Netflix show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? I have not. Okay, so it's about, it's a really good show. Everyone should watch it. But it's about a girl who was kidnapped by a crazy person who kept her and like five other women locked in a bunker and made them wear like those weird head to toe um, dresses that you often see like ultra, you know, conservative Mormon people wearing. So I thought it, so it, it looks like that. Yeah. But. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders doesn't dress like that. That was what was so weird to me is like she wears normal clothes. Like, I I don't even know where she got the sister wife thing. (laughs) Maybe because she thinks she's conservative and people who wear those outfits are conservative. So she suddenly like can't see things with her eyes. I don't know. It's just very bizarre. It looks like I probably shop at a lot of the same places as Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I mean, I'm wearing a pink cardigan right now for those who can't see. So I can only imagine what Cher would have to say about my outfit and the outfit. Stop of, being a sister wife, of, Kelsey. Exactly. Stop dressing like them. Of, Stop of, dressing like a mole woman. But, but this is how the majority of America dresses. I mean, you go get your sales on, on at J. Crew. Yeah, and, she wears and pants. I mean, it's pretty she basic. She wears pants. So and and who, who is Cher to give out fashion advice? So I think Cher's a goddess, and I think that But who she... is going to actually dress like Cher? She, <laughs> no, she's you're right, on another you're right. level. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. I definitely <laughs> agree with you. Uh, but I guess you didn't realize how much I love Cher. Um, okay, so <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel, the con- America's conscience, as he has been dubbed, decided to revive the Kellyanne Conway sock puppet routine, which he has like this really frazzled sock puppet um, that just looks really haggard and bad. Uh, and he brought that back in a segment um, earlier this week and, you know, kind of made fun of what she looks like and made fun of the outfit that she wore to Donald Trump's inauguration last year, which I have publicly said, I think that outfit is awesome and I would 100 percent wear it in a second. Um, but a lot of people didn't like it. And anyway, he just decided to lambast her and then surprise, surprise, Lena Dunham came out and chided him uh last year when he kind of did this routine she spoke up in his defense in her defense i should say and said insulting another woman's appearance even one who you ideologically disdain isn't moving the needle forward seems crazy to have to explain well for those who haven't seen this clip or heard how jimmy kimmel portrays kellyanne conway um here's a little taste of that hello kelly joining us. So let's cut right to it. Why did Donald Trump Jr. and 
the highest level campaign staff have a meeting with a Russian in the first place. Okay, first of all, define meeting. When you say meeting, what are you talking about? I, it's meeting. When people meet, they get together and they have a meeting. What's a meeting? So, I mean, the way that Kellyanne Conway looks in this puppet, it is just really disgusting. It, it actually reminds me of uh, when Kathy Griffith, Griffin? Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, she, she came out with Trump's decapitated head. head um you know it's just it's just nasty and it's it's on a different level it's one thing to attack kellyanne conway based on what she's saying it's another to go after her looks um but that seems to be a continuing trend even even when some people like lena dunham speak up about that on the left from the so-called feminist perspective it seems like men still are not getting the point classic <laughs> i mean yeah. um so i do want to I, I don't i do want to say this though um i guess recently someone under ben carson who um you know is the head of hud um called april ryan the reporter april ryan miss piggy and apparently ben carson responded very quickly and actually even though he did not say this he had nothing to do with this comment because it happened under his watch he came out and apologized um so someone tweeted about uh ben carson being deeply disappointed um by one of his housing officials calling her um miss piggy which is totally inappropriate i don't think any of us would defend yeah um and she said i've known april d ryan for 25 years no one should be um shamed and she is my she has my profound apologies i spoke with dr carson and he was deeply disappointed by what occurred he tried reaching out to april this morning but wasn't able to reach her he offers his deepest apologies so i thought that was interesting that ben carson took a certain level of responsibility for that he responded and he actually took the time to try to talk to april ryan in person and apologize if only jimmy kimmel had that sort of integrity yeah good on ben carson you know for realizing that that was inappropriate um and for sticking up for someone like april ryan who you know obviously doesn't agree with a lot of the same things that dr ben carson agrees with i mean she's really liberal but again like that doesn't matter in this case right he recognized that someone under his authority or someone that he was loosely associated with did something wrong and decided to speak out about that and i think that that's a good thing agreed so another surprising thing that happened this week, uh, Marie Claire, the women's magazine that often is bashing conservative women, came out with an article called All the White House Women You Haven't Heard Of. And in light of the one-year anniversary of Donald Trump being president, um, they did sort of a feature piece on a bunch of women who work for the Trump administration. So when I opened this link, I was actually expecting it to be like, oh, here's the resistance in the White House. You know what I mean? Like resisting Donald Trump at every single turn. I was surprised at a lot of the names on this list. And I just want to read kind of one example. So Mercedes Schlapp, who you and I you know, both have interacted with uh, on multiple occasions with a senior communication strategist over at the White House. This is what they had to say about her. 
Um, so they said Schlapp, a longtime GOP strategist and conservative commentator, secured a top role in the White House, despite all the talk of 2016 of draining the swamp. She's also half of a D.C. power couple. She's co-founded a political consulting firm with her husband, Matt Schlapp, who serves as the chairman of the American Conservative Union and the yearly conservative CPAC conference. Another interesting factoid, Marie Claire points out, Schlapp is the first-generation Cuban-American raised in Florida whose father was jailed for six years by the Castro regime. So I just, uh, you know, obviously a lot of things that Mercedes Schlapp has to say is not something that you would expect to read in the in a Marie Claire magazine, right? And I was kind of expecting... Um, this little feature about her to be negative or, you know, maybe lambast some of the things that she has done or talk about her in terms of being complicit, as a lot of these liberal magazines like to talk about about women who disagree with them or that work in the White House. Um, so I was just pleasantly surprised that, you know, they were just like, here's women who are working in the White House that you may not have heard of who are working in the East Wing or communications role other than Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And here's just things about their lives. I thought it was so interesting. I'd encourage you to all go read it. I was ex- I was honestly confused about the tone of this piece because you can tell they're kind of biting their tongues while writing it because all of these women have very accomplished careers and they are doing wonderful things, working on wonderful initiatives in the White House. You know Marie Claire is constantly coming out with snarky articles against the White House, but being a women's magazine, I think they realized they have to not acknowledge that right. women have very different perspectives and there actually are a lot of women working in the White House doing great things. So this article it was it had a very um, bland tone as, as you heard when Brie just read that one segment but in that you see they're forced to acknowledge the reality and that reality is that the Trump administration um, is employing a lot of really successful women. And I think we should also point out the fact that yes it's good that they are doing this but it took them a year to do that. And this is a women's magazine. And the second Obama was sworn into office, there were, I mean, okay, when Kamala Harris was just running for Senate, right? She's not, she wasn't even a senator. There were a million think pieces lauding her as like this hero of women and this sensational, wonderful person. Uh, so I, I definitely think the fact that this piece, it took them a year to come <laughs> around to do is, you know, not great. But the fact that they are doing it now, I think, is a step in the right direction. And speaking of women who have had rosy, glowing profiles written about them <laughs> all the time in women magazines like every other day, Cecile Richards, who is the darling of liberal magazines everywhere, liberal women's magazines, um, she is reportedly going to step down from her role as president uh, at Planned Parenthood after being there since 2006. What do you think about so I wrote a piece about this and the angle that I took was okay she's stepping down amid a federal investigation into the organization that she was at the helm of for many many years. I mean this is an organization that was dogged down uh after undercover videos came out several years ago, you know, pointing out um conversations that they had with Planned Parenthood, top, top, top Planned Parenthood employees who admitted um, that they were harvesting and selling organs and body parts from babies that they were aborting for for money. 
right? And now there's an ongoing federal investigation at the Department of Justice into Planned Parenthood's practices. And I think the timing of her deciding to step down now uh, indicates either that she knows that there's a storm brewing or perhaps she has 2018 um, November election aspirations on the brain or a combination of both. What's your take? I think that's a very good point. I think think that Cecile Richards has even bigger political aspirations, so I don't expect her to be going anywhere. She might even have an even larger public profile. Um, but I couldn't help but remember um, the story. And the only reason I think this is appropriate to bring up is because Cecile Richards decided to write about this publicly in a piece in Elle. Um, but, you know, Cecile Richards is so pro-abortion, she publicly shared her abortion story in L a few years ago, and um, her birth, she says of, of her decision to get an abortion, it, quote, wasn't a difficult decision, and she decided to get an abortion when um, she was already married and had children with her husband. Um this is what she said in this L article. No woman should be forced to justify her decision for having an abortion. The decision about whether to have a child and a pregnancy or choose adoption is hers alone. Some women make that decision in consultation with their family, friends, their doctor, or their faith, and that's their decision too. So she says this was the right decision for her and her husband. Um, she had a big career. They were busy and she's proud of it. But I think that just goes to show the shift culturally that happened under Planned Parenthood and in the abortion culture movement since she was there. She really was the one who led to this um, from led to this change from abortion being safe, legal and rare to, quote unquote, shout your abortion and right. be proud of it. That yeah. was all her. That is her legacy. And she's going to have to live with that. And also the abortion rates under her leadership skyrocketed. Uh, and that's no small exaggeration. Every single year, uh, the rates of abortion increase by about 11 percent. Um, I think I think when she took the helm at Planned Parenthood, they were aborting something like close. And I'm roughly quoting this. Uh, I think it's like 200,000 abortions every year. Now they're doing 350,000 abortions every year. I mean, that's a very significant uptick. During her tenure, there were 2.2 million babies who were aborted. And to give you some perspective of that number, that is the same population as the entire city of Chicago. Yeah. And zero mammograms were performed. Yeah. And 30% of those babies were African American. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very clear that, you know, they target uh, the kind of people that they are trying to get to come into their clinic doors. Um, and there's a racial element to that. Well, we'll be following this. As I said, I don't think it'll be the end of Cecile Richards. Um, and we'll have to see who decides to take over for Planned Parenthood. Um, I know there have been some predictions out there. Wendy Davis's name has been floated, but we will keep you attuned of all that. Um, I do want to bring you a quick update on the USA Gymnastics story that Bree and I discussed last week. Um, Larry Nassar, who is the uh, doctor um, of many of these gymnasts when they were as young as seven years, 
years old and um, who were abused. So many of these women came out, now women, came out, shared their stories with him. Um, He was sentenced to 40 to 175 years in prison for sexually abusing these athletes under his care. Um, He did issue some sort of apology, I heard, Um, but it was really interesting hearing the perspective of the gymnasts. I think in a way this was a part of their healing process, being able to confront the person who has abused him and then see him get some sort of justice. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the fact that he requested that the, he, to the judge, he was like, Hey, it's really difficult to hear these stories uh, of these women at the sentencing hearing. Like, please don't make me sit here and listen to them for six days or however long the sentencing hearing has been going on. And she was like, no, you need to sit there and you need to listen to what you did and you need to listen to victims you know i'm sure that there is also a small part um of the victims that felt like justice was served just in that moment of forcing him to sit and listen to the torture really that they put that he put them through yes so it is it is you know i'm i'm very happy for all those gymnasts who went through that traumatizing situation i think we should all keep them in our prayers this was a very difficult few weeks for them um but i i hope that there's some sort of peace that can come after this the last thing we want to get to really quick before we end our that happens segment is um this hilarious new um they're being called safety pants that were developed over in germany for women after several um migrant sex attacks happened um if you're watching on facebook live we're going to show you a quick video you should be able to hear what's about to happen is these safety pants if someone tries to undo your pants without your permission an alarm will go off crazy yeah so uh, i also okay i don't understand how alarms like that is really gonna stop someone from like attacking i don't know I didn't know whether to laugh or cry at that when I when I saw that. Yeah, it's it's sad, but it's also like visually kind of funny for reasons like I don't really know why it's funny, but it is a little funny. Well, it seems like in the United States, we cannot figure out where the line is when it comes to consent. So maybe maybe that's maybe we should all start wearing those pants. (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps up our That Happens segment. We will be right back to talk about the two marches that both Bray and I attended over the weekend. Welcome back to this week's edition of Problematic Women. We are here to talk about the two marches that we attended over the weekend. So last Friday, we went to the March for Life, the pro-life rally that happens every single year in Washington, D.C. And this year, I think it was like the 45th year that this march has been going on and we also attended both of both kelsey and i attended and did some facebook live coverage of the women's march on saturday in washington dc kelsey what were your impressions about both of the marches and what did you notice did you notice similarities or differences just what did you think about the juxtaposition of those two events 
I'll say both marches were more positive than I perhaps expected. There were certainly way more people at the March for Life than I have seen before, having gone to three or four of the March for Lifes at this point. The next day, I I would say the signs were a little more negative. It was very anti-Trump versus the March for Life was very pro-life. It wasn't just it wasn't just anti-abortion. They were actually standing for something, and I think that's what was missing in a lot of ways from the Women's March. But, of course, abortion, the issue of abortion, was a huge theme in both marches. Right. And to give you some perspective of what we found out are are the pretty extreme views of some of the attendees of the Women's March, here's a clip on their views on abortion. I'm here because this is a Women's March. It's a march for women's rights. Uh, among those rights is the right to an abortion. Their rally was yesterday. I didn't stand in front of their signs yesterday. So do you support any limits on abortions? I believe that's between a woman and her doctor, not the government. I think that's a super complicated question. Do I do I believe in any limit? Sure. Yes. I think our current system is fine the way it is. 90% of abortions occur in the first trimester, and the majority of abortions that occur in the second and third trimester are medically necessary. I, I don't think that medical procedures should be determined by legislators. Do you, do you know what limit, where you would limit it? I think it's a really complicated question. Uh, so, for instance, uh, I think it should be performed by somebody who's uh, licensed to perform it. I think it should be done by a professional. So, I mean, that's a, that's a limit on abortion, right? So no limits. Medical procedures should not be determined by legislators. Family decisions and medical decisions should be made between families and doctors. What about the decision to abort children because they have Down syndrome, as they've been doing in Iceland? Do you support that? I'm a special ed teacher, so that isn't something I personally support. But again, it's not my choice. As long as it's not my choice, I refuse to support any legislation that's going to hinder a woman's right to choose. I think that that's a decision for a family and a medical professional to make, not a legislator. I mean, ultimately, I support you doing what you choose for your body and your family. Um, I think what's worse than an abortion is a child that is not cared for. And I think our foster system is really overwhelmed. And adoption is not always going to do give that child a great life. And in fact, they, a lot of kids in the foster system are abused and neglected. Well, so I think that that's, that's the result of a lot of individual choices that were made so to the extent that that's true right if that's why there's no down syndrome anymore i support each of the individual people's rights who made that choice but does the abortion culture worry you ever as someone who does work with children with down syndrome that in iceland there's basically no children left with down syndrome because the abortion culture has just exploded and everybody's choosing to abort them simply for that reason I would say that the proper response to that is to give education as far as what exactly Down syndrome is and the treatment options for it. The, you know, the, there are lesson plans, there are individualized education plans. And with that kind of information, maybe Down syndrome won't be seen as such a, a desperately bad thing. Uh, and so, you know, whether that's okay in the big picture, I think is less important than the question of the individual right, right? And so I support each of the women that made that decision. So, you know, whatever the consequence of that was. 
So there were some pretty shocking views expressed in that video. I think the two that stood out to me were, one, the number of people willing to defend um, getting an abortion simply because a child has Down syndrome, and two, the girl who who expressed um, concern about children in the foster care system or adoption. She said sometimes um, abortion is a better option than adoption or in the foster care system. And I would I would challenge her to go into um, talk to some children who are in foster care or talk to children who have been adopted and ask them how they feel about that statement. The left is always talking about this idea of privilege. And I couldn't help but think what type of privilege this girl thinks she has to insinuate that some people's lives aren't worth living. Yeah, I I mean, you know, she's definitely right that the foster care system is deeply, deeply broken. And a lot of children do fall fall through the cracks and get abused all the time. But I mean, just because, you know, the governmental system of handling neglected children is broken the solution isn't to kill them before they get to that system like that's so insane to me it's a very backwards way yeah. of thinking about it um well it's inter- it, it was interesting to see the media's coverage or what some people are saying lack thereof of the women's march the washington post published a story um with the headline why is the media mostly ignoring the women's march well interesting because i'm pretty sure the media completely ignored the march for life but besides that um this writer wrote quote but after the initial flurry of media attention crickets according to analysis by media matters for america the sunday morning news shows all but ignored the mass event Meet the Press granted the subject a mere 20-second exchange and the NBC show that was um and, and the NBC show was the most generous of the lot. So I found this hilarious because on Friday night I was actually booked on Shannon Bream's Fox News show to cover the March for Life and the Women's March. And the producers, understandably, had to switch subjects because, fun fact, Chuck Schumer decided to (laughs) shut down the government. Yeah. Kind of a major news story that our government is being shut down. So now we have Democrats complaining that the media did not cover their march when they didn't cover the March for Life either. And the people who are at fault for that are Democrats, are these liberals who supposedly support the Women's March. So that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I mean, they did cover it. They did. The New York Times picked up a video that I took at the march to cover it in their coverage. And I saw a lot of articles from them in the Washington Post and other TV outlets also. But I think it's fair to point out that the coverage was less dramatic and less intense than the coverage of it last year. Right. Definitely a drop um there but as you said i mean that's because the government shut down so democrats fault and there are also less people at this year's women's march but that said i do not think that the media should ignore the momentum behind the women's march um because we do see the left pandering towards women and that's part of the reason why we have this show because we do want to speak up and say look you're hearing um a lot from the very liberal wing um about women and what's good for women and standing up for women but we want everybody out there to know that there's another perspective there's other people out there who um, care about women, who want women to have jobs, want women to have more money in their pockets to provide for their families. We're here. You're not alone. Yeah.
Absolutely. And so on that note, on that note of not being alone and other people supporting uh, other women and standing up for their rights, uh, an Iranian woman was arrested on December 27th after she removed her, her hijab um, during a political protest. And I think her situation and the details surrounding um, her situation right now are a bit murky as Iran tends to, you know, they don't have due process and they, they don't have the Fourth they Amendment. They, they don't, don't allow have... media there either, which is why covering these protests have been so difficult in some sense. Right, yes. But this this was the woman who we saw a lot, a lot of Twitter graphics being made about, and we talked about her on our, on our show where she stood up in the middle of these protests, ripped her hijab off, and held it up into the air and then she just went missing nobody could find her we don't know what happened to her yeah as it turns out she had been arrested and then her attorney said that she had been released and then is now re-arrested um and i believe she is still in jail and still sorting out through this huge legal battle so you know i guess thoughts and prayers um with this woman who is still unnamed uh hopefully you know she's able to sort that out and continue to stand up for women and hopefully organizations like the Women's March, which claim to stand up for women, will speak up about her and help her get her due process and really fundamental freedoms instead of um, marching on the streets only about their own first world problems. Let's look at what's happening in places like Iran to women who simply uh, attempt to um, express their own rights and, and protest on the streets and they get arrested for it. So um, we certainly are keeping her and her family because I, I believe she does have children. She has a child. Um, She's a 31 year old mom. Yeah, we, yeah, we're keeping her in our thoughts and prayers. And if you see anything about her on Twitter, please show your support and spread the word. Speak up, spread the word. All right. Speaking of speaking up, <laughs> it's time to crown our problematic woman of the week. the week. So this week it's Suzanne Summers, who is the co-star of the famous show, famous comedy show, Three's Company, uh, in the 70s, which I actually enjoy watching reruns of from time to time. <laughs> so Suzanne Summers, uh, I guess she was just walking around, you know, downtown LA fairly recently uh, in Southern California, and reporters were just kind of following her, you know, trolling her as as they do. Um, or I should say paparazzi. And, you know, they just asked her what are her thoughts about a range of political topics. They asked her about the shutdown, and then they asked her about Donald Trump, and she responded with, quote, I'm happy with him, the former Threes Company star, told TMZ in a video posted online Monday about the 71-year-old's first year in office. I'm happy that the economy is doing so much better, said the actress with a smile. And now my career's over, she joked. Well, she might be <laughs> she right. She might be right. Yeah. She certainly was problematic. That clip was going viral on Twitter because how dare somebody in Hollywood express support for President Trump. But what is important to note, and I have to give credit to our producer, Lauren Evans, who spotted this, um, according to The Hollywood Reporter, this is an older report, but when it came time for her season five negotiations, Summers was actually on the front lines of demanding equal pay. Um, she was looking to earn $150,000 instead of $30,000, which was equal to to what her male um, colleague was receiving. Um, instead, ABC only offered 
a $5,000 hike. So Suzanne Summers is someone who has been on the front lines of demanding equal pay in an industry that we know from this last year has so many problems, and yet she is still problematic herself because she supports President Trump. And that wraps our show for That this week. does wrap our show. Um, thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow my work on The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can follow my, me on Twitter at Brie underscore Peyton. You can also follow my dogs on Instagram, which you should do. Woo-hoo. You can follow them on Instagram at Two Standards. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalists, and it is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. You can tweet segment ideas to her on Twitter at Lauren Liz Evans. If you like this podcast, please support us by rating it and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing Problematic Women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 